and welcome to episode 21 of Rural Matters, the leading podcast on rural education, health, and the economy in the United States. Greetings to our returning listeners and a warm welcome to our new listeners. We're happy you're here. You can listen to Rural Matters on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We encourage you to subscribe and receive new episodes automatically. Also, welcome your feedback. So if you've got ideas for upcoming podcasts, a question about an episode, or just want to chat, send us an email at ruralmatterspodcast at gmail.com. Now I'd like to welcome today's guest, Candace Williams, Executive Director of Rural Community Alliance, which organizes communities across rural Arkansas. We'll be talking about this organizing work, particularly focused on education, and I'm happy to be joining her today in Delight, Arkansas, where RCA just wrapped up its annual conference. Candace, welcome to Rural Matters, and thanks for taking the time to talk after a very busy two days. <laughs> Thank you, Mara, for, for having me. So why don't you just begin by telling me a little bit about Rural Community Alliance? Um, what do y'all do? Who do y'all work with? A Rural Community Alliance is a nonprofit um, that started in 2003 mm-hmm. out of the uh, Act 60 had just become law the year before. Act 60 uh, is the mandatory school consolidation law uh, that closes all schools with less than 350 um, after annexes are consolidated school districts uh, that have less than 350 for two consecutive years. So initially that bill would have closed all annexed or closed mm-hmm. uh, all districts that had less than 1,500. Okay. And RCA was really birthed out of that because 1,500 closing districts with less than 1,500 would have totally just wiped out all of what we know is rural Arkansas school districts. Uh, so the initial advocacy of RCA brought that number down from 1,500 to 350. And that's how the law stands today. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the first, um, I would say, uh, five years, mm-hmm. Education advocacy was our, you know, primary goal. That was our sole focus. But uh, we knew that school consolidation, school closures were um, the symptom of, of a deeper problem. And okay. that was the the disinvestment and the kind of uh, ignoring of our very rural community. So that's when our organizing work um, expanded beyond education and went into uh, the livelihood of rural communities as a whole. And uh, out of that, we've um, built a three regional economic development uh, projects out of it. One being what we call the Ozark Byways, which is um, the um, the oldest of the uh, economic development regional mm-hmm. projects that we have going on. So our work now encompasses um, just wanting rural Arkansas to really survive and thrive. Okay. And so what parts of rural Arkansas do you work with? Do you focus on certain parts or is it all statewide? Our work is statewide. We work within regions. We have five regions. Okay. Uh, in each region, we have a staff person uh, titled a regional director, mm-hmm. and they are uh, over all of the, the functions of that region. So within each, re- we have the Southwest region, which is where we are today to have our uh, delight. Uh, well, I have our annual meeting in delight. Uh, we have the Central Northeast region. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the North Central region. Southeast and the Delta region. Um, and each one of those regions is staffed with the staff person, uh, the regional director. Okay. So one question I have is, well, first, why do you take a statewide approach? Um, you know, I, I can imagine it. It's, I mean, I, I know a little bit about Arkansas. I've done a lot mm-hmm. of research here. Um, and I can imagine it's actually easier maybe to focus on one region because the regions are so different from one another. Yeah. Um, so why take a statewide approach? Because it's power in, in, in that commonality between all of us across the state. As you've mentioned, it's very different. The mm-hmm. Delta is very different. The needs. But they're, you know, they're similar. 
Okay. And that's, that's what makes our members come together because even though we're so different uh, racially, you know, mm-hmm. demographics, income-wise, we all come together around the issues of wanting our communities to be viable. Okay. So that that that's why we work statewide to really show uh, that there's power and, there, and the real voice needs, you know, to be paid attention to. Yeah. So what are some of those issues that are facing rural Arkansas? So, of course, um, well, in 2015, uh, after 12 years of work, RCA was finally able to um, kind of put a stop to the Act 60 bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, we couldn't, it wasn't retroactive. So the districts that had been closed, we couldn't, you know, ask them to be reopened or anything. But mm-hmm. in 2015, a, a waiver bill passed that allows districts to apply for a waiver every year before the State Board of Education and they can stay open. So mm-hmm. the 350 number is no longer the nail in the coffin. We actually have a district that's in the Pike County, Kirby, yeah. that was able to use that waiver and they're mm-hmm. still open to this day because of that. Okay. And three years ago, four years ago, that would not, they would have been closed. And, wow. and that's it. So, so that was one issue. Yeah, that's um, one issue. School closures. School closures. Right now we have the public schools by choice campaign. Okay. And that's really to uplift. Uh, public ed- traditional public education mm-hmm. as a whole because our rural schools aren't the only ones that's being deinvested into. It's, it's all across the state. Okay. Uh, public education uh, privatization is big now. So we created the Public Schools by Choice campaign to kind of fight their privatization mm-hmm. movement and really uplift what is being done in traditional public school settings that's kind of being overlooked now. Okay. Um, um, economic development wise, we're really pushing for uh, the Arkansas Economic Development Commission and others, the powers to be to create something um, something that's similar or, or is a rural economic development plan mm. that's created by rural people, not the people that are sitting up there at the Capitol, you know, around their desk, but really rural people that know what's going on and know what we need. Um, connectivity, mm-hmm. <laughs> Internet, those are two issues that we were taking on. Uh, a few years ago, we joined the Faster Arkansas um campaign and that was to bring uh high speed broadband to all schools in Arkansas. Okay. The governor, um at that time I think he was running to be governor, the current governor, mm-hmm. uh, he um has done that since then. He he worked a way around it and every school in Arkansas now has that. But now our communities need it, our rural, mm-hmm. very rural communities, because once that child I live in Elaine, Arkansas. Yeah. And, <laughs> and for one, I pay like a hundred dollars for broadband. Yeah. And not broadband for Wi-Fi, for connectivity. And it still doesn't work. Okay. So it's very much still an issue. So yeah. if we're wanting to grow our communities, if we want to sustain our communities, that's one big barrier. And we realize that, you know, now more than ever, uh, just being connected by, by phone, by cell service and internet connectivity. Those are two big issues that we're um, fighting now also. So, so much of RCA's work focuses on education, mm-hmm. um, and you've h- highlighted this or alluded to this a little bit, but what are some of the major challenges facing rural schools specifically in Arkansas? Rural schools, um, I, 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 one issue, and I think it's not just rural, but it's, it's very evident in the rural communities, teachers. Okay. Uh, when I was growing up, it was very much so a grow your own type of deal. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all my teachers were from Elaine, mm-hmm. and that's not the case anymore. A few years ago... Um, uh, Teach for America came to play. So now that's a lot of the teachers in these very rural areas because we can't attract and retain teachers. Okay. So, you know, even though, you know, someone my age would go away, go to school, you know, become, you know, be certified, licensed to be a teacher, they wouldn't come back because, mm-hmm. you know, it's for one, like the, the thing of, 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 of creating that rural pride mm-hmm. and everything is not there. And then, like I just stated, 
you know, you don't have good cell service. You know, oh, right. you can't even stream videos, you know, without them buffering. Yeah. So just things that, you know, I think people take for granted in, in, in other areas mm-hmm. of the state, even mm-hmm. not even the country. Um, there are barriers in our smaller communities. So it's hard to attract and retain teachers there. Okay. Uh, another issue that one of the our panel hit on earlier, our legislative panel, was the transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, transportation times are very long. Mm-hmm. Um and Trans- mis- the funding for them it, in, in, in more rural districts is, is more than it's allocated for. So you have a lot of rural districts that are holding on to a thread okay. because, you know, they're trying to, to keep the teachers that they have. They're, mm-hmm. cr- they're trying to, you know, be at that minimum salary paid level for mm-hmm. all the teachers and just accommodate all the needs for their students. And they don't have the resources. Right. So. Those are the issues that we're dealing with now. And I, I, like I said, it, I wouldn't say it's so, you know, exclusive to rural, mm-hmm. but those are very, you know, real issues that we're dealing with every day in rural districts. So. Yeah. Well, you also mentioned the privatization of education mm-hmm. and that being something that RCA is doing a lot of work around. Um, so first thing, what do you, can you be more specific? What do you mean by the privatization of education? How does that manifest? Okay. So I know for the past few legislative sessions, it's just been growing each session. Session lobbyists and the powers that be have been coming in and influencing the legislators to uh, present bills and get some bills passed uh, that funnel public dollars into private entities. Okay. So uh, we have, now we have a few, I know a couple um, uh, allocations that go public funds that fund uh, private schools. So, it's like so a, voucher a lot of program. voucher programs, uh, mm-hmm. some of these schools were, created um, after desegregation. So some of them historically don't have good histories. And as we know, these private schools, they really don't have to account to anybody. They don't have to serve special ed students. They can send their special ed students to their, you know, closest their local public school district and they keep the money and and this is what this is what this is what's happening in arkansas now this is what's happening in a lot of states across the country uh but uh for the past last session or two it's kind of been on steroids in arkansas bills have been flying Mm -hmm. in out of nowhere for vouchers and and privatization um uh, (laughs) we're uh, charters with RCA charters mm-hmm. is uh, a very, I think, thin line because we're not totally opposed to charters. Mm-hmm. We're opposed to charters coming in and trying to obliterate uh, traditional public, public education as I we see. know it. Uh, because we've actually supported charters in two um, of our very rural communities that had schools to close. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're not against, you know, them all together. It's just what the system is is making it become. In, um, and it's it's making and, and we don't have a big pot of money to work off for education and they're constantly taking pieces off of it. Yeah. Taking pieces off of it. And then it's it's not for the good of the kids. I know everything that passes <laughs> that that the legislator, that's what you know the whole message is behind it. But you know, when you're taking pieces off of the education system that educates uh, close to 500,000 uh, children in the state, then, you know, we really have a problem. Right. Um, and just a note to our listeners, um, you referenced um, private schools here in Arkansas. And in Arkansas, like in much of the rural South, mm-hmm. many of these private schools opened up after desegregation um, and they were meant they were intended to educate just white children. Um, So now this means that, um, and and many of them um, have continued 
to um, operate um, with demographics that are really largely unchanged, mm-hmm. unchanged mm-hmm. which means that um, so many of these private schools um, have mostly white children or all white children. Um, and so now what you're saying is that with a voucher program, that's basically public money going to fund these kinds of um, private schools. Yes. Um, and in the, in the research literature, they're known as segregation academies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not only is this um, perpetuating the privatization of education, um, it's also perpetuating segregation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, um, so there's a, there's a racial element, yes. a racialized element to this too. Um, so, what is RCA doing? <laughs> what are you doing to address some of these challenges? Because they seem big. So a big part of what we just finished our conference is to uh, allow our members to interact mm-hmm. with those that are seeking to be elected and some that are already elected to have those conversations with them and ask them, what are you truly doing for us at that capital? Mm-hmm. So uh, with our public schools by choice campaign, we have to re- we, we establish regional advocacy teams mm-hmm. and each one of the teams, they will uh, host uh, a panel discussion in their individual regions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's another opportunity for our members to come in contact with people that are seeking election yep. uh, during this uh, election season. So, um, a big part of what RCA does is connect our members to the people that say they represent us okay. uh, that have historically may not, you know, have not been easy to get in contact with. Mm-hmm. So our members very much so have a voice. And uh, that's a main, the main goal of, of what we do is with our organizing is connecting our members to elected officials and hopefully, you know, pushing some of them to want to be in those positions to represent where they're right. from. And it also seems like a big part of your work, too, is about the um, kind of community development Mm -hmm, piece. mm -hmm. And what do y'all do around that? So um, each one of our, uh, well, we have we have what we call chapters. Okay. so each one of our chapters has a chapter, a a chapter leader. Okay. And uh, within that chapter, the uh, chapters have uh, individual projects that they do. RCA offers some matching funds to for these individual communities to be able to do it. So uh, a lot of times these leaders that spring up are not people that have historically been, you know, leaders. Mm-hmm. They've been people that uh, we've come in contact in the community and uh, they had something that they wanted to do. They were able to rally a group around them. And there we have a chapter and they've been able to support us not only with what they do locally, but with our statewide advocacy work. Okay, so these these two parts of your work, the community development piece and, and, and the advocacy of, work, mm-hmm. that seem really connected. Yeah. Um, what are some examples of projects that local communities have taken on? Well, I know in Delight, a lot of the things that we do uh, for our communities, uh, beautification. Mm-hmm. So some of the like Delight, they have Veterans Memorial. We were able to, we were able to support um, like a, a festival down in Doddridge. So mm-hmm. some. To things to have economic pieces that are able to bring in uh, money to the communities. Uh, we uh, have sponsored uh, or provided funds to uh, literacy, early mm-hmm. childhood literacy, summer programs and things of that nature. So uh, education and uh, kind of economic development, um, community economic development. Those are the things that we invest in in these communities. So. OK, um, I want to go back to one thing that you mentioned before about um, some of the, the statewide um, organizing work. Um, well, first, what do you mean by organizing? Um, I know RCA takes an organizing approach. Mm-hmm. How do y'all define that? So uh, our organizing is, uh, like I said, identifying that one person in the community and not going in with the lens of, hey, this is what we're doing. We need you. Mm-hmm. But hey, what's important to you? 
Mm. What, what's important to make your community sustainable? Mm-hmm. And it build, the relationship builds off of that. It's very organic. So uh, that's that's how we go into it. And this one person in the community is able to to rally members around them. Uh, the regional directors are a constant contact, as you've heard, Penny. Penny chapters, they're very <laughs> well acquainted with her. <laughs> She's always contacting their chapter leader. So the information follows from me to mm-hmm. the regional directors, and they are in constant contact with their chapter leaders to keep them informed of what we're doing around the legislative session, mm-hmm. our advocacy work, uh, any funding opportunities um, mm-hmm. or trainings, leadership training, advocacy trainings, organizing trainings that we have. So it's more so of... Um, so that, that's our organizing model. Okay. Yeah. So it seems like um, you're able to have both a statewide reach for mm-hmm. some of these policy issues, yeah. but then also really have very local roots yeah. and support local communities. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, and so the other thing I was thinking about as you were talking um, about putting um, legislators in contact with local community members and specifically local rural community mm-hmm. members mm-hmm. Um, is that you're often asking the legislators to come to rural communities. Yes. Um, and I know you also do some work at the state house and mm-hmm. you bring rural communities there, yes. but why do you think it's important to have them come here? It's important for them to see, okay. you know, exactly, you know, some of the places they hadn't been and they, supposedly represent these people so it's important for and I was just so you know blown away that we were able to you know get legislators that came from all the way from five hours away in northwest Arkansas but they very much so represent some of RCA's membership Mm -hmm. so uh, it's important for them to see because every day they're voting on bills they're passing bills that affect all of us Mm -hmm. so it's important for them to even get out of their district out of the, their end of the state and see the people that their bills are affecting and influencing. So uh, that's, you know, important for us to really make sure these elected officials see what they what they're, what, how their work is affecting all of us. So at this point, I want to take a brief break and thank our sponsors. Our newest national sponsor is AASA, the School Superintendents Association. To better represent rural school district administrators, AASA recently announced a new partnership with the Rural School and Community Trust, a national nonprofit organization addressing the crucial relationship between good schools and thriving communities. AASA has, a long, has long been a leader in advocating for federal policies that support and strengthen schools and the students they serve. Through this partnership, both organizations will leverage each other's mutual efforts for rural and superintendents to offer them the help they need to succeed. More importantly, this partnership will help students in rural areas. Nearly 9 million students attend rural schools, more than the enrollments of the New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, and the nation's next 75 largest school districts combined. In their report, Leveling the Playing Field for Rural Students, AASA and the Rural School and Community Trust point out how Congress can provide leadership and support to ensure students living in rural America receive a quality education and succeed in life beyond high school, particularly because rural children face greater levels of poverty than non-rural children. This report provides federal policymakers with five education policy recommendations that can be supported immediately and will benefit the one in six children living in rural communities. To read this report, please visit www.aasa.org. Today's episode is also sponsored by the National Rural Education Association. NREA is the voice of all rural schools and rural communities across the United States. The oldest established national organization of its kind, NREA helps rural educators find and use needed resources to educate today's students. Learn more online at www.nrea.net. Now let's get back to our discussion. 
So you mentioned Act 60 before, Mm -hmm. um, which is the um, act here in Arkansas that leads to district consolidation and then often school closure. First thing, with this act, um, and I know now that it's slowed a bit um, Mm -hmm. with the waiver process, Mm -hmm. um, but what students and communities have been affected by Act 60? I know over 100 campuses have been closed in the state of Arkansas. The last district that was closed was in 2015, which was a huge um, school district. Um, uh, that's when the bill was established. The 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 um, the sponsor asked the bill um, be retroactive for schools that were on the list at the time, mm-hmm. and that's something that they weren't able to do. They weren't able to save Hughes. Uh, so um, the exact number of districts I don't have the number, but mm-hmm. I know over a hundred campuses have been closed. Okay, and what is the connection between district consolidation um, and school closure? How does district consolidation lead to school closure? Um, so uh, with Act 60, that's uh, mandating that the um, school district consolidate or annex with another district. So the bill doesn't say you have to close your, your buildings. That's okay. totally up to the receiving district. But <laughs> most, I would say the majority of the receiving districts have, you know, that's that's been the choice that they've made. They've made to close these buildings in these communities. So we have a lot of communities that have these beautiful buildings uh, that uh, local tax dollars, tax dollars went into and they're just sitting up deteriorating and then that's that's the end of the story for that. Uh, but another bill that RCA worked on in the 20, the 11, it was a few sessions ago, um, allows these receiving districts to give the buildings back to community members. Okay. I mean, to community organizations and everything. But uh, in the last session of bill passed, that gives charters the first right of refusal <laughs> to underutilize, uh, quote unquote, underutilized and un- underused buildings. So um, right now we haven't seen, you know, anything um, treacherous happen mm-hmm. in that area. But um, it's, it's kind of, you know, scary and sad that, you know, charters are given the first right of refusal to. You oh, know, I see. So, buildings. right. So, so basically, a school could be closed. School could be closed, and then a charter school has the first right of refusal to then occupy this. Yes, yeah. before building. these community groups or anyone else that the charter entity would, you know. Okay, and I'm assuming you, y'all see this as sort of another move towards facilitating the privatization yeah. of education. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are the impacts of school closure? Well, I, I can just I, I can speak very personally about this. Um, Elaine School District closed in two, 2006. And Elaine is where you're from. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm from Elaine, Arkansas. I was a part of the last graduating class out of that district. And um, that, that school district was the heart and soul of the community, as it is in probably every rural community in this state. That's the heart and soul. Every baseball game, football game, school function, that's the community. That's that's our activities. That's what we do. And when you take that away, it, it I mean, a community that may have, you know, been, you know, on its, you know, surviving, um, but maybe on its last leg or something or whatever the case may be. It just it kills it. That's, I mean, that's it. It just takes away so much pride, even after what it's been like 12 years now since my, our district closed. It still hurts. The buildings uh, have since, well, some of them have been, since been donated back. And that's what happens to uh, community organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, some community organizations kind of let the buildings deteriorate even further just to have property. And some uh, actually do things in them, you know, things for the community, as they have done here in Delight as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it it. it it's a very sad story to lose your your uh, 
local school district. It takes away the community, some of the community pride that you had. And it just, you know, it, it's, it's just hard. It's hard for communities to have to deal with it. So, and, and the pain never goes away. Yeah. It, it forever stings when you lose your school district. So what does it mean for students? So, so my younger brother, he had, uh, after that, he had two more years of school after we consolidated and it was bad after that, because you, a lot of times <laughs> in this consolidation, it, you know, with the consolidation, you have districts consolidated that have always been rivals. Mm. <laughs> so that was the case down there. So in some instances you have districts that, you know, they have a smooth selling, but some it's really hard for these children to, you know, come together and for these people, for the communities to come together mm-hmm. and, and, and to really work together that haven't, been working together in the mm-hmm. past. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it was really hard on him. It was uh, fights and it was just, it was a lot of, you know, tension between Elaine and Marvel when we did the consolidation, but it has since moved out. But uh, like I said, that's a, that consolidation is a symptom of, of a lot of underlying issues. Why weren't these districts already working together before that? Mm-hmm. Not saying that they had to be consolidated, but why weren't you working together? And, 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 and that's, a very important part of what we do. That's why we work in regions mm. to show the power of regions rather than, Oh, this is my community. And I'm only working for this community, but no, let's tie us all together. And that's why our, um, our economic, that's, that's mm-hmm. the, the, the premise of our economic development, um, uh, like the driving tour. Mm-hmm. We're not only touring one community, we're trying to connect communities within a region together to mm-hmm. show the promise of rule. So, it's interesting because I think a lot of um, people assume that when an organization or community um, doesn't want to consolidate, um, it, it's about keeping local control. And that might be part of it. But what I'm also hearing you say is that you actually think that communities and districts should be working together. They should already be working together. Maybe sharing services should, and those things. They should already be, yeah, sharing services. You but, but still keeping the school. Still keeping your school and and. and and with some of the, specifically in that uh, North Central region, mm-hmm. uh, the Fox, I feel like Fox, Timbo, they're real special now. And they still have their schools within their mm. individual communities. Well, not Fox, because Fox is unincorporated, but Timbo. Um, and it's real special. That's the district. And they work They work together. Hmm. I mean, um, so, down to one district now, but they have their individual buildings. And I really wish, you know, in other areas of the state, they could have worked out the same way. Right. But like I said, it's up to the receiving district what right. they do right. <laughs> with their building. So. so many people would make, would argue that closures make sense. You know, if a school is losing population or a community is losing population, um, it's only logical to close the school. Um, how would you respond to that argument? I would say... <laughs> um, it, okay, so it it just always just it frustrates me how you know when a traditional public school is losing numbers, it's an issue. Um, you need to go ahead and consolidate and close. But they, but private schools and mm-hmm. charters, that's something that they tout that we have this low student to teacher mm-hmm. ratio. We're able to accommodate your child and all their needs. But a traditional public school, it's a no go. So why, you know, if, if it's good for pri- the private and the charter schools, why aren't traditional public schools held to that same, you know, regard? It just doesn't make sense to me. You know, if this school district, and, and that's a part of the waiver bill, the school districts that receive these waivers, they have to be financially sound, they have to be fiscally sound, uh, academically, mm-hmm. and facilities. Mm-hmm. So these waivers aren't just given out to districts that are on the, you know, just doing bad. Mm-hmm. So a number of the districts, they had no problems. 
Mm-hmm. Wiener up in Northeast Arkansas, they their elementary school has won so many awards since then. Even their principal, I think, was a national a blue ribbon. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you have these wonderful districts that have been forced to consolidate and nothing was wrong with them. They mm-hmm. they were fine. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you can't tell me that children in rural Arkansas are not up to the standard and the level of the children in the more or urban settings and in bigger school and in larger school settings. You can't tell me that. So that that I don't that's an argument that I think I could argue against that, you know, why they need to consolidate school. Why they why they shouldn't consolidate, but you know. Um it also seems that there's a lot of attention right now to supporting rural development. You know, yeah. I mean we, we you hear state legislators and federal policymakers talking more about supporting rural communities. Yeah, rural is hot now, apparently. Right. Yet they're still closing rural schools, <laughs> yeah. which seems to contradict one another. It does. Yeah. So I, I guess as, as a part of that, after the 2016 election, um, particularly, oh, yeah. legislators and the media have been paying more attention to rural communities. Um, what do you wish that they knew about rural Arkansas? There is so much promise in rural Arkansas. It's not cookie cutter. You went, you can't have like this blanket plan on how or if you want rural Arkansas to, to be sustainable and to thrive. There's no blanket, you know, way to do it. You have to really um, take time and hear from what rural residents want, what rural residents need. Um, you can't sit up there at the Capitol and, and guess what, what's needed and guess what we want. Just like those um, elected officials and legislators uh, joined us for um, for our panel earlier. They came and heard what we wanted. They came and heard our voice. That's what needs to happen. Decisions can't be made for us. We have to be included. In it. And for so long, that, that's been you know how it's gone. Decisions have been made for us with us not at the table. So that's all that we're asking for now. Keep us at Bring us to the table, keep us there and not just have us at the table. We just don't want to see. We want to be, you know, an active, very much so heard and, and paid attention to see. We just don't want to be a filler. <laughs> so so that's 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 rural Arkansas um, for me now. You know, I, I know it's a lot of attention on, on rural America. And, um, and and that's what I want now. I want to make sure, you know, once we get to the table, don't just have us there to say, oh, we have someone from rural Arkansas, you know, here. I want to be there. I'll be involved and I want my voice heard and I really want things to change and happen. Thank you. Well, Candace, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you and for having me. Yeah. And it's been great to join <laughs> you here in Delight, Arkansas. Yeah. Um, we'd like to extend our appreciation to all of our marketing partners, Center for Rural Affairs, Community Hospital Corporation, Foundation for Rural Service, the Harvard Graduate School of Education, Rural Educators Alliance, the Journal of Research in Rural Education, NCTA, the Rural Broadband Association, and Ohio Small and Rural Collaborative. These partnering organizations help Rural Matters to be an even more powerful forum for the discussion of issues affecting rural communities. Want more information on rural issues or to suggest a guest or topic? Just email us at ruralmatterspodcast at gmail.com. We'd appreciate it if you'd rate this podcast on iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues about us. Rural Matters is produced by Michael Levin Epstein and Susan Sempelis. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again next time on Rural Matters.